Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, we are into 2021, and all of those thoughts that we had about 2021 is going to kick off to a lot more peace and a lot more ease, and uh, things are just going to be looking up, seems to be not happening. And so um, there is so much unrest and so much, so many disturbances that are going on in our culture, and we'll talk more about that in a few moments, but uh, let's, let's back up for just a second and talk about 2020. 2020, let's just be honest, 2020 was a hard year. It was just hard. It was hard all the way around. It was hard for many people financially. It was hard socially. We, you, you couldn't get out, you know, and uh, you might love your family, but, you know, you, you spent a lot of time with them in, in, during the pandemic, right? And some of you are laughing. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. They, you know, don't, don't look over and nudge. Um, but it's, it was very difficult. It, might, it may have been different, difficult socially. It, was, it was, may have been difficult spiritually for you. Because the temptation is to just sort of kick it into neutral and to just sort of coast your way along. But that's not what should have been happening. We, we worked overtime here to try to provide resources and means by which we could just sort of uh, make sure that everyone's being communicated to. And uh, we, we even found here in the office uh, a lot of the changes that we had to make just on the fly, changes that normally we would have taken weeks or even months to implement. We were sometimes having to implement changes hourly. I mean, by the hour. And we had people contacting us saying, are we going to meet for church next Sunday? We don't know yet. We're waiting to see what the different mandates are going to be and, and praying about it and looking at it. And so we were having to be very, very flexible. Well, in the midst of all that, one of the things that I heard sometimes uh, people would say is this, I'm just trying to get through this year. I'm just trying to get through it. I'm just trying to endure it. Well, can I tell you, the idea of biblical endurance and the idea of endurance that we normally think of when we say, I'm enduring a situation, I'm enduring a difficulty, I'm enduring 2020, those aren't the same things. And we've talked about this some time ago, but let me just refresh your memory. Biblical endurance is more along the lines of a marathon. It's a long-term race that you are involved in. That's biblical endurance. We've said before that biblical endurance is, is earthly endurance with a heavenly hope. We're looking forward to a future that is assured, that is promised, and that is what gives us earthly endurance. But so many times, all we practice is earthly endurance. We have earthly endurance. We just get through it. But biblical endurance is that earthly endurance plus a heavenly hope because of the hope that we have, because of the confident and favorable expectation of a future reality that's not here yet but will be. That's the reason we can have endurance right now because we have heavenly hope. And so I want us to, to look at, a, starting at where we're, we're starting a series today, but today I want us to look at a specific component of this idea, and I want us to just talk about, through this series, I want us to talk about holy grit. We, we talk about grit, we talk about people having tenacity and stick and they just have grit. 
But there's a difference in having that earthly grit and having a holy grit. That endurance that is based upon a faith and a trust in Christ. And that's what we're looking at over the next few weeks. We'll look at ideas like this. How do I have joy in the midst of these difficult circumstances? What, what role does gratitude play in the middle of all of these things? What do I do whenever I find myself growing extraordinarily tired of the struggle? All those and more, we're going to be looking at those over the next few weeks as we explore this idea of having holy grit. And I want us to look today in James chapter 5, verse 10. And I want us to look at some examples, some biblical examples of this type of endurance. James writes in chapter 5, verse 10, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So there are two different uh, people or groups of people that James mentions in these two verses. He mentions the prophets in the Old Testament, and he mentions Job also in the Old Testament. He, he uses those, those two as examples of biblical endurance. So what does, how does that work out, though? What does that look like? in these two examples. And certainly there are other ideas but uh, about endurance and having a holy grit, but how do we look at this? What do we find in this? Well, first of all, we find some truths. One is this, we must per persevere, we must endure, we must stand fast despite the rejection of biblical truth. We must persevere despite the rejection of biblical truth. Look back in verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. These Old Testament prophets were speaking in the name of God. They were speaking on his behalf. That's the role of a prophet. A prophet is not, uh, so many times we think of a prophet as somebody who foretells the future. Well, that's not the, that's not the overall idea of the prophet. Uh, one of the theological phrases is this, sometimes prophecy involves foretelling and sometimes prophecy involves forth-telling. That is, sometimes the, the prophet is saying, this is what will happen in the future, but you find much of the time the prophets are saying, this is what God is saying right now in the midst of this situation. So hear the Lord. And so these prophets are speaking on behalf of the Lord. That's their role. They're spokespeople for God. And we find that even though they're speaking for God, time and time and time again, the people rejected their message. Certainly some listened. Certainly some heard. But some said, no way. Not only did they reject the message, they actually turned their, their anger, their ridicule, their rejection of God's word toward the messenger. Listen to Matthew chapter 21. Jesus tells the listeners a parable about this very thing. Matthew 21, starting in verse 34. Here's this parable. When the season for fruit drew near, he, that is the owner of the land, sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. 
Again, he sent other servants, more than the first. They did the same to them. Finally, he he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus is giving this parable, and he's saying this, this farmer, this owner of this land, he sent some people to collect the produce that was rightly his, And the tenants, the workers there, killed those people. The prophets, they killed them. And they killed them again and again and again and again. And finally, the owner said, I'll send my son. They'll listen to him. And they killed his son, which is exactly what happened with Christ. There was a rejection of biblical truth. This is one reason reason that we wanted to show this whole idea of, uh, show the video of American Gospel. And I know there were some people have asked me, they're like, why do they call it American gospel? I don't like they call it American gospel. Can I tell you why it's called American gospel? It's because the prosperity gospel that we looked at last year and progressive Christianity that we're looking at today, those had their seeds, those grew, and those are being exported from America. That's where it started in America, a twisted form of the gospel. That's, where, that's why it's called American gospel. All right, it's not talking, it's not saying anything about patriotism or anything like that. That's not the point of those films. What it's saying is, this is where it started. And I can look on social media, and over the last few weeks and months, I have watched, and even years, I have watched former students of mine, students I taught when they were in middle school and high school, whenever I was a teacher in a school setting. Students of mine who were the kids that I taught whenever I was a middle school pastor and I was a children's pastor. I'm watching them say, I don't believe in this Christianity anymore. I have my own version of Christianity. I have a God who embraces all beliefs. I have a Jesus that doesn't doesn't look at anybody's sin. I have a Jesus who loves everybody equally and would never, 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 ever speak wrath on anybody. I have a Jesus who is big enough, or I have a God, I've heard this, I have a God who is big enough to embrace all beliefs because my God is that big. Can I just tell you, that God is not a holy God. That God is not the God of the Bible. That is a twisted version of the God of the Bible. And I look and I see them over and over again, people falling away, people stepping away. I see it within the church setting in America as a whole. People saying, yeah, I just don't know. That's just, that's just too, that's just too much. I just don't think I can, I don't think I can handle that. Do you know what we should do? We should persevere despite the rejection of biblical truth. And even if it turns negative, listen to what Jesus says. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Look at this. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, blessed are you. Blessed are you when you're reviled on my account. Blessed are you when you're insulted. Blessed are you when you're rejected. Blessed are you when they speak evil against you because of the stance that you're taking for my name. And can we just be really honest? We are probably in for much, much more of that in the next few years. 
And if you can't see that, you, you need to wake up. Because we are probably in for a much more persecution, negativity, all sorts of vitriol thrown our way. And we're going to see more and more of that. More and more and more of it. Somebody here recently had told me, they said, I just wish the church could go back to the first century church. Well, you look in the book of Acts, isn't that a beautiful picture? I said, absolutely. They said, don't you think it should be that? I said, absolutely. I said, but let me just tell you, the church in the book of Acts, the early fledgling church, it prospered, it thrived, it was vibrant in the midst of a culture that was absolutely bent on its destruction. Absolutely. And so if we say we want first century church. I, I embrace that. But we also have to understand that took place in first century culture. And can I tell you, the beginning of 2021, I may, hopefully I'm wrong, but it seems to be turning out to look a whole lot more like first century culture than we have probably ever experienced before in our nation. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do about that? I'll tell you what my plan is. I'm just going to keep saying it louder for the people in the back. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep preaching God's word. Regardless, it has not changed. There's no reason to change it. And can I just tell you, let's just go ahead and be clear. I ain't woke. I'm awake. There's a difference. And there is a difference in being awake to the word of God, to the truth of God, and live by it regardless. And I've had people tell me, I've had people tell me in the last weeks, you keep preaching like you're going to preach. The day may come. They may get you for hate speech just because you're preaching the word of God. They may, they may ridicule you. They may do this. Okay. I would rather stand ridiculed before a culture that is oppositional to the word of God than to stand before my God and say, I shrank back from your word. So that's not going to happen. So in case you're wondering what we're going to get more of, you're just going to get more of what you've been getting. And I may be louder. All right. And I know some of you are saying, how can that be? Just show up. For those of you watching online, I'm sorry that you had to turn it down just a moment ago. But 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. That's what God says. God's word says, don't be afraid. Don't even be troubled. Don't let it worry your mind. You keep clinging to the word of God. You keep preaching it. You keep saying it. You keep living it. You keep standing for the unchanging word of God and persevere despite any rejection of the truth. But what else do we find in this passage? Well, the, the scene shifts from the prophets to Job. From a group of people to one person. So we are to persevere through continued pain by relying on Christ. We are to persevere through continued pain by relying on Christ. No matter what kind of pain you experience. Now, let's, let's talk about Job. Uh, look back at verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. What's the story with Job? Well, let me give you a little brief background. You uh, probably know this. Some of you do. But let me just give you a brief background. Job, righteous man, 
owns a great deal of livestock, has a lot of possessions, has a big family, seems to be living uh, the perfect life uh, so far as this time was concerned. And you find that um, Satan comes before God. There's, a, there's a, a meeting that takes place in heaven. And I know people say, well, that couldn't happen. How can Satan? Well, we find that Satan does have limited access to, uh, to God's throne room. Now, how does all that work out? We don't know, but we find that. We also find that Satan is referred to, of the, referred to as the accuser of the brethren who accuses Christians day and night before the Lord. And so we find that Satan does have, at least for this time, some degree of limited access before God. And so we find that they have a meeting and Satan shows up and, and God looks at Satan and says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man. He avoids evil. There's none like him in all the earth. He's my guy. And Satan says, yeah, it's because you built a hedge around him and you're keeping, you're giving him all these possessions. Of course he loves you. Why wouldn't he love you? You've blessed him. And he says, all you got to do is take away all that stuff and he'll curse you. He'll turn from you, God. That's exactly what he'll do. And so God says, okay, have at him. Don't touch his physical body, but have at him. And so one after another, things start happening to Job. You find that uh, the servants are out tending the oxen and some invaders come in, kill off all the servants, but one who's the messenger and then they steal all the oxen. You find that lightning comes and strikes dead all of his sheep and kills the shepherds who are taking care of his sheep. These invaders come in, the Chaldeans come in and grab his camels and kill off the servants who are monitoring the camels. And then we find that his family, his seven sons and his three daughters, they're all in a home. They're all gathered together to eat and a wind blows and destroys the home and crushes all of them and kills all of them. One after another in quick succession. While one messenger is speaking and telling the news, the other one comes in with the next bit of information. So Job loses, he loses his livelihood. He loses his life savings, he loses the business, he loses his family, he loses all of it in one fell swoop. And then the Bible tells us that even through all that, Job does not sin. He doesn't curse God, he doesn't sin. So then the scene shifts again. Satan shows up again. And God brings up Job again. Hey, have you considered my servant Job? Righteous man, avoids evil. And even though all these things have happened, even though these things have unjustly happened to him, he's still my guy. He's still faithful to me. And Satan goes, yeah, it's because it's an issue of skin for skin. It doesn't matter if you take all that stuff, but him, let me touch him. Let me touch him and things will be different. You'll see. So God gives Satan permission and then Satan strikes him with all sorts of diseases. He has, he has boils and scabs and his skin gets thick and dark and he's itching all the time and his hair falls out and his teeth get loose and he's having to scratch himself with a broken piece of pottery. And so he's just in this pain and he doesn't know why. But the Bible says yet again, and all this Job did not sin with his mouth. He didn't sin. Even despite all of this great suffering, we persevere through continued pain by relying on Christ. Even through the midst of the diff most difficult seasons, even through the 2020s and 2021s and 2022s and whatever else may come, we rely upon Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, 
Now he's talking about receiving a financial gift in order to help him with his needs. But there's a bigger thing going on here. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Wait a minute, what? In whatever situation, he's learned to be content. No matter what may befall him, he says, I've learned to be content. Notice he says, he learned it. He learned it. It was a process of learning. He learned it. So what does he learn? Well, here's how, here's how it happens. Verse 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, here it is again. I have learned, what did he learn? The secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Well, I want to know what that secret is. Don't you? Paul says, I've learned this secret. What is the secret? If there's a secret, let's, let's, I want to know. I want to know how I can be content in every circumstance. How can I be content in everything that may happen? How can I be content whether we are on top of the mountain or in the lowest valley? How can we experience that? Here it is, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We can do all things through Christ. All things through him who strengthens us. We rely upon his strength. You're in the middle of continued pain. Rely upon Jesus' strength. This is the same thing that we find in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes he's been given a thorn in the flesh. Now commentators have debated about that for many years because it says a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to harass me. So some say thorn in the flesh. Ah, that means it's a physical ailment. And it could be. And some say, thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. And they say that word messenger refers to uh, an angelic being, but it can also refer to a person, which is true. So was it a physical difficulty or was it a, a person who was causing Paul's difficulty? We don't know. And I know I, I've mentioned that before and I've had people get really upset. Well, I need to know which one it is. No, because the bottom line is, whether it is a physical difficulty, a financial difficulty, some sort of illness that may befall you, or whether it's a person that is causing the burr under your saddle, whatever it may be, it all goes back to Christ. Paul prays that it would be taken from him, and we find in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Not, hey, I got my power. I'm going to pitch in 50%, Christian, and you need to pitch in your 50%. And between your 50% and my 50%, I think we can work something out and get you through this. No. God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. The more you realize that you don't have control, the more weak you realize you are, that is when the power of Christ shines. And you find that all throughout the beginnings of the, the, new church or the early church in the New Testament. You find people saying, these guys are uneducated people. These are just fishermen. Boy, they're preaching with some power. They're speaking some truth. Where did that come from? Because they're relying upon Christ. 
People doing things, people experiencing things, people living out the life of Christ and they're doing something in such a way that people are saying, well, there's something about there's something going on there that's not normal. But they seem like normal people in every other way. Why are they so bold? Why are they so strong? Why are they able to endure all this? And those are the questions that are still being asked all over the world, even today, when Christians are being persecuted and Christians are being ridiculed and Christians are being put on mock trials and imprisoned and, and, and killed and all sorts of other stuff, people are still saying, yeah, there's just something weird going on. Why? Because they're relying upon the strength of Christ. And can I just tell you, God may knock out all your props so that you don't have anyone or anything else to depend upon other than him. He's done it to me before in my life. Because you know, and you've heard me say this before, what you depend upon in comfort is what you will default to in crisis. And when you depend upon something in comfort, and that is what you you run to in the midst of comfort over and over and over again, when you get to a crisis, if you aren't careful, you won't run to God, you'll run to that thing that gives you comfort. Some other earthly thing, some other physical thing. Now, granted, if God is the one you depend upon and you trust in the midst of comfort, then yeah, he's the one you default to in crisis. But if you're depending upon anything else, that crisis will let that be revealed. And sometimes God says, I'm going to take out that prop and that prop and that prop and that prop. So the only thing you have left is me. I've had it happen to me before multiple times in my life things that i would think oh surely i'm not depending on that surely i'm not placing all my weight on that surely i'm not trusting in that more than i'm trusting god and god just goes blink and then i realize oh i have been trusting in that i've been putting a whole lot of weight on that instead of resting my hope fully upon the grace that is brought at the revelation of jesus christ so we endure suffering. We endure continued pain by relying on Christ. And then finally, we persevere trusting the purpose and the character of God. We persevere trusting, on the, trusting in the purpose and the character of God. Look at verse 11 again. You've heard the, of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You've seen the purpose of the Lord. You've seen the purpose of the Lord borne out in the life of Job. How God provided for him. Eventually, we find in the end, how God made it, set everything right. God's compassionate. God's merciful. That is God's character. We trust his purpose and we trust his character. We trust that he has a reason and we trust that he is a good God. He's compassionate and merciful. We find this in Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 103, 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So we can trust, God, your character is good. Even in the midst of great pain. Now, understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying because God is compassionate and merciful and good and loving, that means he's going to eliminate every aspect of pain and suffering and difficulty from your life. No, no. Pain is part of the plan. Pain is part of the purpose even. And God's sovereign purpose includes that degree of suffering now we don't like it when we go through it right we face those fires in our life and we say oh it's it's just going to burn up everything it's just going to consume me we face those cuts in our life and and 
people ridicule us and we get cut here and we get cut there. We face those blows that come again and again and again relentlessly. But can I tell you, in the midst of that fire, when you trust in God's purpose, you realize that those fires, yeah, they may be hot, but those are also purifying fires. And yeah, those cuts come, but you realize they prune you. And yeah, those blows come, but you realize they shape you. And so you find that we can trust God's purpose and we can trust God's character. No matter what comes, we can trust him. He is sovereign. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Look at that three-word phrase right there in the middle. When mindful of God. When we're mindful of God, he gives purpose to our suffering. Back to our original idea. We talked about endurance being more like a race, being more like a marathon. That's it. But do you realize whenever you're running a race and you're running your race for God, that means you don't have any accidental steps. You don't have any steps that you take and you go, well, that, that, that hill was hard. That was a hard hill. But I'm past it and, and it's over with and, it, and it's done. No, 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 no. God took you the path of the hill to teach you something about himself, to teach you something you needed to know about him that you wouldn't have learned in any other way. Yeah, well, that was a, this was a hard path. This was, this was a lonely path. This was a difficult path. This was a, a rough path. Absolutely. God has a purpose, which means your race isn't an accident, which means this, you're not here at the beginning of 2021 in this nation, in this place with the faith in Christ that you have by accident. God didn't make a mistake. He did not make a mistake. We can be displeased. We can be disappointed. We may be a little bit for just a short period of time, a little discombobulated about everything going on, but we don't have to be discouraged and we don't have to despair because we understand that God is in control and he has sovereignly placed us in this place, in this nation, in this season for a reason. And that is to stand for him and to make Christ known. It's not a matter of what a terrible situation we're in. Yeah, it's a terrible situation in many ways. But can I tell you, it is also an opportunity. It is an opportunity to make Jesus known perhaps in a bolder, stronger way than maybe we ever have before. Listen to what Job says. Job chapter 6 verse 10. Job is reaching this point that he just says, God, I just wish you'd kill me. God, I just wish I could just die. And in Job chapter 10, he says, this would be my comfort. God, if only I could just die. Just wish you'd go ahead and take me. He says, I would even exult in pain unsparing. But notice what he says. For I have not denied the words of the Holy One. I haven't denied the words of the Holy One. I've endured. I've not denied God. I've endured. I've not walked back from the truth. I've endured. I haven't twisted the truth to make it fit my experience and my situation. I've just said, somehow, some way, truth is truth. And my situation may not exactly, in my mind, be pointing to it right now, but I'm going to trust God's purpose and God's character that it does. That's what Job says. 
And that's why Job is one of the examples of endurance that we have, along with the prophets. So where is it? Where is it for you? Where is it where you've been saying lately, why I just give up? Why go on? Why continue? Why continue fighting? Why continue with the difficulty? Why press forward? Why bother? No one's listening. It's just going to get worse. All the more reason to endure. And how do we endure? We endure because we have a heavenly hope. We endure because we trust the word of God and we trust it is true. Regardless of what our circumstances tell us, regardless of what culture tells us, regardless of what any sort of pundit tells us, the reality is we trust the word of God as being absolutely sufficient and absolutely true. And not only that, we trust the strength of Christ. We don't rely on our own strength. If you rely on your own strength, that will fail. If you rely on Christ, he has never failed. And not only that, not only that, we trust the purpose of God. We trust God has a reason, even if we don't see it. And we trust God's character is absolutely perfect. He's absolutely holy. He's absolutely good. He is absolutely, completely, and totally sovereign over all things. And God is not sitting on his throne right now, knitting his brow, wringing his hands, and saying, I don't know what to do next. Are you kidding me? He is the sovereign Lord God, King of the universe. And that has never changed, nor will it. And that's the one we serve. So with that in mind, if you've been thinking about giving up, throwing in the towel, can I tell you, you can do one of two things with that towel. You can either throw the towel in or you can use it to wipe that sweat off and maybe wipe a little bit of blood off and you can just keep on going by the power of Christ. That's what he calls us to do. And that's what we're going to do. And some of you may be sitting there, you may be watching, you may be listening, and you may be saying, I don't think I have that assurance. You can. You can. Because just as our earthly endurance is based upon our heavenly hope, that heavenly hope is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. And not only can we not make it in this life by our own power, we can never do anything in this life by our own power to gain the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness that is required to be able to have a home in heaven with God. That only was accomplished through Christ on the cross. He came, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death in our place for me, for you on the cross. And we receive him by faith. We trust he is who he says he is. That he is the son of God. That he's the perfect sacrifice. And that he did what he said that he did. That he died on the cross. He paid the penalty for sin. He satisfied the wrath of a holy God. That he rose again on the third day. And that he's going to come back. And so we trust him. And we follow him. And we follow him alone. That is how we endure. That is how we have that heavenly hope. It's wrapped up in the person of Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we give you thanks for the heavenly hope that's found in Christ. Not based on our doing, not based on our wisdom, not based on our strength, not based on anything that we ourselves could work up, dream up, think up, or in any other way fabricate or manufacture. It's your idea. It's your plan. It's Christ's righteousness. And 
he died in our place. And Father, I know there are people here right now. They've been watching the news and going through this past year like everybody else. And they've had maybe some visible struggles and maybe they've had some just secret struggles going on between uh, their heart and the reality of the situation. Maybe their families have been going through stuff that nobody knows about but them. Father, we know in the midst of all that suffering, in the midst of all the pain, and we will willingly and openly acknowledge that the last 12 months have just been hard. But God, in the midst of that, you're still God. And you always will be. So Father, I pray that you would breathe that, that second wind into your children that are growing weary. Father, I pray that you would redirect our focus toward Christ. Pray that whatever props you're knocking out in our lives, that we would say, okay, there's a reason. And I pray that every time you knock a prop out, Father, I pray that each one of us will look all the more dearly and nearly to Jesus alone. Father, I pray that you would go before us in the days to come. That you would grant us your wisdom and your understanding and a holy boldness and a holy grit. That we would lovingly, passionately, unashamedly, unabashedly stand for Christ. Knowing that that is what you've called us to do. And knowing that in standing for you, we are saying we are standing against some other things, some other ideologies, some other untruths, some things that may be accepted and embraced and, and, and touted and lifted up and praised and honored by our culture that we would say, not so in our hearts, not so in our minds, not so in our lives. For only God can occupy that space as he has revealed his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his holiness through the person of Jesus. May we be able to say that. And may we say it for your glory and your glory alone. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.